We are privileged today to have Dr. Bruce Johnson bringing the message. And so I'll invite him forward if Doug will let him go. Dr. Bruce, are you ready to bring our message? Oh, yes, we know you're ready. Well, I've walked up to this uh, pulpit in this church many times. Probably the hardest time was when I found out my daughter Becky had cancer at 11 years of age. And I'll tell you, that was a hard Sunday just to walk up and say I had to try to share with people. But God is good and thankful that spared her life and she wasn't supposed to have children and I know that's not true <laughs> because I now have great grandchildren <clears throat> well one of the uh, interesting things about being a, a pastor is and a preacher is the way the church has been designed for the last, I don't know how many years, they have designed it in such a way that evangelism is, evangelism is the key word. And I finally figured out after many years why they did that. Because the laypersons could blame the preacher when he didn't do it. And it worked. And Jesus said something totally different because the word evangelism does not even appear in the whole Bible. Evangelist does, but Jesus' final words, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive, I prefer the translation, ability. <clears throat> Somehow we turn the word power into all kinds of things, but the word really means you were not able before, now you're able. We were not able to witness. The Holy Spirit has come into our life and made us possible to witness far beyond our words. And when we talk about witness, <clears throat> I like to think of it in four different ways. <clears throat> My wife would tell me to stop doing that. <clears throat> Or she goes like this. <clears throat> One of the ways we witness is uh, we help each other as Christians. We want to help. Another way we witness is what you do a lot in, in this church. <clears throat> and that is uh, you give things materially to people that are in material need. <clears throat> and, and if a person has never been in a place where you do not have all the material things just to survive, you really don't know what it's like. But I'm thankful for this church in that you are willing to reach out and help with those kinds of material needs that help people survive. And one of the things that happened when the Holy Spirit came upon the church in the New Testament, they helped anybody that had need. Just read the, the, 
the uh, first few chapters of Acts, and you will find that. The third way of witnessing is we want to share what Christ has done for us that he can also do for somebody else. And, and uh, in one way or another, we may contribute some to that and somebody else, but witnessing is really a process. You may do something, I may do something, and somebody else may. It's like selling things, something that you may close the sale. But we're all, we all should be involved in witnessing in a way that they can come to know the same Christ that we know. And the third way is so needed in our present day, and that is we need to help people understand the Bible as our witness from God. And we are not equipped to do that. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, and others, is that we are to help equip Christians so that they can be the kind of witness that God wants them to be. And that is so crucial. Now, one of the things that uh, has come to my mind and uh, done a quite a bit of work on it, and that is the word ichthus, and I think that's up there. And that, the, the word ichthus, and inside of it is the Greek word for fish. Ichthus is the Greek word for fish. They take, and the earliest Christians took each letter. The first letters was Jesus, Jesus. The second letter was Christos, Christ. The third letter was Theos, God, and the fourth letter was Huios, Son, and the fifth letter was Soterios, and that is Savior. So what the earliest Christians did was they believed in Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the promised Messiah, God, and the only Son of God and Savior, the one who would save us from our sins. What was unusual about that <clears throat> The earliest Christians did not have money to buy paper. There wasn't even paper in existence. So they weren't in a culture. They, were, they lived in a culture that would be classified two ways. Oral history was how they, they operated, or oral culture. And until around the year 50 AD, there was no Christian writings that we know of. And Jesus never wrote anything. So that culture memorized. And they used something like ichthus to remind them of who saved them. <clears throat> and, and how the scripture in the Old Testament, <clears throat> as we talk about Old Testament, uh, uh, the was not, Jesus did not use the term Old Testament. He used the term law, prophets, and writings, which was how the Jews referred to their scripture. And it had the same number of books we have in our Old Testament. Uh, he's bringing me a glass of water, which I probably need. <clears throat> I don't know why this has happened. I guess it's part of old age. <clears throat> so the uh, when we think of our scripture 
and, and you're reading now in the New Testament, it will refer to the law and prophets. What they're referring to is the whole scripture, most of the time. <clears throat> so in this period of time, the, those five things about Jesus permeated all of the New Testament. The whole New Testament has those five concepts and truths about who Jesus was and what he came to do. <clears throat> And so I, I believe, based on what's happened in our country, when I was a child growing up, every home had a Bible. You couldn't find, I don't think you could find any home that would say something wrong about the Bible. They all had it. It didn't matter whether denomination you were in at all, or even if you didn't go to church. You had a Bible, and many of them had a table, and they had this huge Bible sitting on the table, and that was, it would be in their home. <clears throat> Those days are gone. People now make more fun of things like the Bible. So what are we going to do, and how are we going to equip ourselves to deal with this kind of thing? Well, we need to go back to the concept of ictus and restore this in our minds so that that can be the foundation and transition that we know of after Jesus died at the around 33 AD till around 50 AD they memorized this and their teaching of the apostles this was always at the heart of everything they taught <clears throat> Ictus. I just came from Camp Sanders, and they asked me to make a presentation up there. And prior to going up there, I had came up with the thought, and I would like to have us think about that and make it a part of our life. And that is, we need to have Ictus Bible Academy. Now, that's not my academy. Ictus Jesus Bible teachings. But that concept of Ictus Bible Academy, our focus must be on what Jesus taught. We get into the Old Testament sometimes and I hear people teach things and I just smile and wonder, my goodness, that's interesting. And that's about all I want to add to it. Because if we leave Jesus out of the teaching, we miss the whole point of what it means to be a Christian. So think in your mind of Ectus Bible Academy. We're going to go by what Jesus taught. And that is crucial. <clears throat> now, uh, I wrote this little booklet, and some of you already got a copy of it on Introduction to the God of the Bible. You need to get a copy of that and go through it. It isn't the only thing in the world you can get, but it is geared with ways of helping you defend what you believe about the Bible, and it's also the questions are all geared to a chapter and verse on major teachings as you move through the entire Bible, and it can help you with somebody else. You go through it, take somebody else through it. Let's get the Bible back in the hands of people, and this is one instrument that will help you be able to do that. <clears throat> Now, what I want to emphasize today is a very interesting part of our life. Forgive. 
I don't think any human being has ever existed that didn't have a problem with forgiving. And all the kinds of words and things we say about it. I have done extensive research on this subject and the gospel message of the Bible is forgive. And one, if the church and believers cannot say I'm forgiven, then there are a sad case. Because when we entered the gates of heaven, there will be hallelujahs everywhere, forgiven! And if you're not forgiven now, you're not going there. And that's tragic when it's so simple. And the price that Jesus paid God's only Son and Savior to make it possible. And it is not something you learn. It is something you hear and learn, but it's also something that you must experience in your life to make that forgiving grace yours. And if you have not made God's forgiving grace a part of your life and you really believe it, you're in trouble. Maybe what Luke said about the rich man and Lazarus in hell and separated from God, I believe that forgiven was a major factor of that. And the rich ruler that came to Jesus and said, what must I do? Sell everything you have. You can learn what it means to be forgiven. There will be no one in heaven that does not have the testimony that I am forgiven. After God did everything he did to make it possible. The God of the Christian, if you compared the Jesus Christ, God's Son and Savior, to any religion in the world, there is no comparison. You're not going any place with the other religion. It's some kind of manipulation of one kind or another, but God recognizes who we are. We're people with a soul, and we can choose what we want to choose. And when we choose God, realizing that he is the answer to our journey to heaven, but we're not going there unless we're forgiven. I was 22 years old, raised in the church. I had gone to Sunday school church. In those days, you went Sunday, Sunday school, Sunday morning worship, Wednesday, and you went to all three all the time. And I knew the Bible, and I had heard the message. I had been under conviction, but until I was 22, I could not testify that my sins were forgiven. And that was sad, and it hurt. But I remember going to a private place of prayer, and I decided by the grace of God I was going to pray until I could say with certainty that God witnessed to my heart that my sins were forgiven. And I remember being in prayer and came to the verse, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you 
from all unrighteousness. When I came to that part of the verse in God is faithful, God moved that thought into my heart and mind. And I've never been the same since. Because what was written became part of my soul and life. And with confidence, I face death as a transition to my next life because of what God did, not what I did. My sins are forgiven. <clears throat> when we talk about uh, forgiveness, I, I, we need to realize that forgiveness comes to us in three different ways. One way is that we must be able to say, you don't have to have the same experience in your life that I've had, or you don't have to have any kind of moving emotional thing at all, but you must believe what the scripture says, that God has forgiven you. Not that he is forgiven, that he does forgive, but he's forgiven you. And that's one of the things that this book talks about, our Bible. God forgives. We must accept it and believe it, to have it. And I believe there are many people that are may sit in church services, and they have never, they could never say, I believe God has forgiven me. You must know that. The second thing is that when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, we begin to understand what gospel means. Gospel word comes from a Greek word, euangelos, which means good message. That's what gospel means. The good message is that God forgives. And the good message is that he didn't leave us. He said, I will send my spirit into your life to give you ability to forgive whoever you need to forgive. This is no longer you, but it's me at work in you. We must forgive others. I liken forgiving to the person that doesn't want to forgive is building their own prison. And every person that they don't forgive or every situation they do not forgive is like adding bars to their jail cell until they are stuck until they do what God said Jesus teaching on prayer was forgive our debts and the amazing thing is in the scripture that there are three different ways that forgiven is spoken of forgive us our debts for someone we may have hurt somebody Forgive us our transgressions. Where we admit that might have been a part of why we need forgiveness. And forgive us our sins. All of those are crucial. So when we look at other people's lives and think that, oh, they did something worse than anything I ever did, I'm never going to forgive them. Well, you're the loser. 
and you will continue to be the loser until you do what God asked you to do. Or you will be imprisoned and you will never be able to love as you want to or should love. The third area that a lot of people have great difficulty in is I can't forgive myself for what I did. Now think about that for a moment. If God forgives you for what you did, are you greater than God and you're not going to forgive yourself? What kind of reasoning and thinking is that? We need to know that because God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. And by his grace and presence, we may, must realize what he is, wants to do in our life. Now, uh, <clears throat> several years ago, I was working on this particular topic. And so I, I believe that I need to help believers be equipped. And this is part of your equipment where you can be equipped to deal with the subject of forgiveness. And in my study, I found out that not only has the Bible said this for generations, forgive, but now colleges and universities and medical people are doing research and finding out that if you don't forgive, you'll suffer physically. That's a terrible price to pay. But God originated it. They just started discovering it. Forgiveness, health, and healing you control. Nobody can make you forgive anybody. And uh, I want to refer to some of the research that I think is good for you to, to hear about. <clears throat> and this is research that took place in 2006 by Mary Greco. And I think you could type in her name on the internet and find it, but I've made copies of this available to anyone that wants to pick them up as you leave. A, uh, I introduced this by saying a plethora of, of current research in medicine and in clinical psychology today is proving a truth that they say religions, I'd say the Bible, have preached for centuries. Forgiveness is one of the most important health habits a person can have. There are now 1,200 physical dangers, I mean, 1,200 published studies in medical research. And by the way, I have several doctor friends, and I've read this also, that 75% of every person that goes to the doctor, the problem is psychologically or unforgiveness. Think of it. That's what the medical world is saying when the students go to become doctors. 75% around that amount <clears throat> of people that go to the doctor, that is the problem. <clears throat> forgiveness is one of the most important health habits a person can have. Not, there are now 1,500 I mean, 1,200 published studies in medical research and clinical psychology about the 
physical dangers of resentment and the effectiveness of forgiveness in reducing physical stress symptoms. I read two books by Dr. Enright from University of Wisconsin-Madison who has written three books plus done a whole lot of research in this particular area and he wrote one, Forgiveness is a Choice and Forgiveness is a Way of Life and in the, th the, the statement that caught my attention in his writings was there is no psychological con uh, healing apart from forgiveness. Think of that. What has God been saying for years before they ever published this? There's no conclusion unless we forgive. And God gives us help to do it. He doesn't isolate us or forget us or throw us away. One, think of this. One study links marital distress to dangerous thickening of the heart wall, just like smoking. Studies at Ohio State University have shown that arguments between spouses can increase stress hormones that weaken the immune system. Women, women heart patients with stress from marriage difficulties were three times more at risk of heart attack than women without such stress. There is a 33% greater likelihood of heart attacks and strokes on a Monday morning among working individuals. This is possibly linked with stress factors related to heavy traffic and high rate of job stress. Her interactive survey sponsored by uh, an organization. You can read the rest of these, but they are, there's a whole list of, I have 11 that are listed. What I want to do, which is amazing to me that I, I, I can't even remember the year, but uh, I was at Central College, came home, as we usually do, we came back here for a visit usually, and I was asked before that if I would preach that on the Sunday morning. Well, I, the Lord directed me to the subject of forgiveness. And the most amazing thing was, someone said to me, how did you know what's going on here? Isn't that amazing how God works? And I'll, I'll, part of that is what I have included in this booklet there's a word in the scripture that, this is what I said, there's a word in the scripture that fits the category of community. And when we're talking about forgiveness, you don't need to have forgiveness if there's no community. But where are you going to go? You're in community. And when we have more people there, we're going to have disagreements and, and not understand as we should. And I would like to think that it is a password for uh, actually being part of a community. It doesn't matter whether it's the community that we would recognize as a family, as a church, as a city, as a county, as a state, or the world. This particular word has a part in all these relationships. In fact, 
This word is so profound in my estimation that it is psychologically true, sociologically true, and theologically true. That word is forgive. Isn't it amazing that God has been trying to tell us this for a long time and finally we're catching up with what God said? We can't live without it. Jesus emphasized the... uh, Jesus emphasized the importance of forgiveness as he shows us how we should pray in the Gospel of Matthew, traditionally called the Lord's Prayer, and Luke, traditionally called the Lord's Prayer. And then the 17th chapter of John also kicks in. If we will do what it says in the, in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, it says we are to glorify God. Every time we forgive, we're glorifying God. We're not glorifying ourselves. Think what it would be like trying to live in our global community if you would say we are not going to forgive people we've had wars with in the past. How long could we survive? We can't live without it. We must have it. We must experience it. We must use it, whether we like it or not. It's part of who we are as people. We, must, we make mistakes as humans, therefore we must experience the concept of forgiving. We can say that forgiveness is a password for community. God has told us that. For example, they have passwords in the military. When you want to re-enter back into your own troop area, if you don't know the password, you could lose your life. The password allows you to reenter that particular community again, recognizing the need for God's forgiveness, forgiving others, and forgiving ourselves. Testify identifies us with the human community. The Apostle Paul was one who had entered the Christian community, and the Christians knew what he had been doing, and the Christians knew how many other Christians were killed because of Paul. He was trying to destroy the Christian community, thinking he was doing that which was right, and God stopped him on the road to Damascus with a tremendous conversion experience, which was God saying, I know what you have done, but I'll forgive you if you will accept me, if you allow me to make the changes in your life that you need. At that moment, he experienced what it meant to know God's forgiving grace for all the evil deeds which he had done. From that moment on, the Apostle Paul preached the message of Christ so that everywhere, so that people everywhere could know God's forgiveness. There's an interesting word that keeps people from entering this lifestyle, and that's the word repent. The word repent means... Metanoia, you change your mind. What you've been doing hasn't worked. God says, I'll give you something that works if you will repent. Change your mind. Accept what the direction that I have. <clears throat> well, what time is this service supposed to be over? 11? <laughs> huh?
Yeah, some smart aleck said, just look at the calendar. <laughs> and my wife just went like, Well, this, this uh, sermon area that I have stated here is uh, including uh, information that I hope you will read and let the presence of the Word of God that's in it uh, help you make any kind of change that you need to make. And I said in conclusion, I would like to say that an unforgiving person, as this scripture says, grieves the Holy Spirit. How does this scripture say we grieve the Holy Spirit? Look at verse 31 in Ephesians. By bitterness. What does bitterness do in the home? It destroys it. Lost my place here. Bitterness fills us with gossip slander and I want to hurt them how can I do it with words I will do it and with gossip I will do it what does Paul say in this section of scripture about forgiving a forgiving person a forgiving person is kind to all And only the Spirit of God can make it possible for us to be kind and tender-hearted. Another concept we must use here would be the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. What Paul is saying through this whole letter, what is he saying through this chapter? Let the Spirit work. Don't let the human nature take control. Let the Spirit take control. Let the Spirit take control and listen to the Spirit. You will be tender-hearted, not because of your what who you are, but because of what God intends to do in your life. You will be concerned. Sometimes I ask myself a question when I'm dealing with people: Why is that person acting that way? They must have some problem. No matter what they say to me, I believe the power and spirit of God can help me look beyond that and say, "I see that person as a troubled person, and I will pray for them because they need it." We all need that. I need you to do that for me. I need my family to do that for me. We all need each other. In those moments, to be tenderhearted because we need a person giving more than we're able to give because of circumstances in our heart. A forgiving person does not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us how we can change all this. It's very simple. It's not hard. Repent, change your mind, and let God be God and do what is best for us. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, you are indeed God that is above all gods that anyone could mention. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came and demonstrated the greatness of your love in a way that no one has ever done. We pray that you will reach out and touch every life here 
and guide them to that place where they can say, I know I've accepted your forgiveness, and I know that I am forgiving. I'm going to forgive. And by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit that you have given to me, I intend to walk and live in the life of forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.